You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the show. Welcome back. I'm still Stuart Goldsmith. This remains the Comedian's Comedian podcast in which I interview creative comedian people to help creative people like you understand and cultivate their own. I can't say the word creative a third time. I've really got to boil this down. It's been a lovely break. Uh, (laughs) It's been a lovely break. Um, It hasn't been... It's been a break from releasing episodes. I've still been recording like a fury. I think I had about... Three weeks where I just didn't think about it, which is very nice indeed. Um, And now we have some absolute scorchers in the can. This is Larry Dean, who I've been meaning to get on the pod for some time. And I think actually slightly embarrassed myself by booking him up for the last day of Edinburgh last year. And then realising I just didn't have anything left. But it's not my first rodeo. It's my 26th rodeo. I should have known um, that I would be in that state. So apologies to Larry for making him wait. And I'm so grateful that um, we were able to have a... I've been listening to lots of American podcasts recently, so I'm going to say a do-over. We had a do-over, and this is it. I will tell you a bit more about the break and the plans for the future and everything else that's going on uh, in the middle bit. But for now, uh, let's get stuck into Larry Dean, who is just a wonderful, wonderful comic. And I think one of the most exciting things about him is that he is he's so talented and he's not kind of resting on the laurels of any one particular talent. He's working really hard. He's writing really hard. And as you will hear, he is doing a fascinating thing. I don't want to preempt it, but do you remember how Ellis James would get his script, as it were, and then comb through it for with a thesaurus for words that could be made more interesting, which I believe he took a bit of stick for that admission. But I think that's properly brilliant and shows real care and attention. And hey, let's remember, no one does it the same way. So anyone that's invented a thing to do, my hat is off to them. Well, Larry does something rather similar with his body. Let's get stuck into this fabulous conversation with the very, very funny Larry Dean. I saw Fandan, which I know is uh, unreleased, but I wangled a copy of Fandan, which I love. Yeah, yeah, good, eh? Isn't it? I've got my way. Um, But one of the most, and we could talk about that for sure. One of the most fun things was watching the set you did in Melbourne in I think 2000. And I was trying to work out when we did Christchurch. We did World Buskers, I think, in 2017. 
because yeah. I only had one child, so it must have been. <laughs> like I can work the, out the date. The boy with the most beautiful eyes Thank in the you. world. I Thank have you. never seen a child that I'm like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's a honey. He's he's quite a dish. Um, but we were <laughs> we were in Christchurch, and I remember you working up that um, the story about the tram inspector, and knowing that you only had five minutes on stage at Melbourne, which was like a month or two later. And or the next month, even I think it was like just after. Aye. And I remember you, like you were spending a lot of time on. Can I nest story A, the kind of massage fingers story, inside story B, the the tram inspector story? And it was such a joy because I'd never then we we talked about it a lot at the time, and you were kind of trying variations on it and timing yourself, like sneaking it in in, in your regular set in in the festival. And um, I had never actually seen the finished version of it. So just this morning I watched it. It was like, oh, no. I remember all of this. I remember all of these decisions. I remember all of the angst you were going through going, I really want to get that punchline, which is a big structural callback, but it's only going to make sense if, if there's enough of that story, but I've only got five minutes. Um, I realise now it's years ago now, but I just thought no, we'd start I, off. I, I remember as well. I, I did speak that you actually remember that. Cause I remember, um, what do you call it? When um, the other comic would be on, and then I would just come off and then I, then I would have like a fucking one-to-one like writers <laughs> meeting backstage like and they kind of side the stage going, well, what do you think of that? Should yeah. I that bit? Um, and then I, the recording of the actual uh, bit, uh, I was like, <laughs> I don't think I even got to do an opening joke because the timing of it was so like, yeah. you have to do four minutes or we're going to cut it. And I thought, I, you know, when I think you think, I don't trust, uh, I barely trust myself with my material sometimes. So I'm not going to, I'm not trusting an editor. Yeah. Because sometimes when it's like, uh, uh, when you edit something, you go, oh my God, you missed a fucking joke there. That was the yeah, best bit. Yeah, that, yeah. We need that bit for that bit later. So I was like, right, I'm just going to have to patch getting an opening joke. I'll just have to go straight into the story. But I can even, I can, when I've seen it back, I watch on my face that my brain is going, Right, talk, because I'm so uh, jet-lagged at that point. I'm like, talk slowly, I don't panic. If they're not laughing, it doesn't mean they're bored. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. Which is half the fucking thoughts I have in my whole life, man. If they're not laughing, it doesn't mean they're bored. They don't hate you there. Yes. It's interesting. None of none of that stuff is visible. One of my observations from having seen a lot of your stuff, like I've seen a lot of it live, but this morning in particular, I've been kind of revising you. And um, you're like, you make it so easy. You make it look so easy. You're one of those people that's like, it really seems effortless. Everything, like all the bits are good and all the bits are sitting in exactly the right place. And the performance is brilliant. And you've got all of the kind of performance skills and the accents and the rhythm and the, your connection with the audience is great. How much is there going on under the surface? <laughs> oh, God, I might start crying. Um, <laughs> mate, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it fucking, it does, like, I think the epitome of what, uh, what I have to go through to get it to where I, where I want it, it's, it, well, because I'm not very good at usually of, um, if I'm not interested in something, I won't, like put a hundred percent into it. Mm. So once I find something funny, I get so um, obsessed with trying to make it work. But then you know that annoying thing of you do a bit and then it works on your new material gig, and you think, oh yeah, I got a new bit. And then the next time you do it, you go, 
hold on, when is that fucking bit not work anymore? What perfectly last week. And it's almost like you do it the first time, it's perfect because you've got the adrenaline and the excitement. There's like a... And you can even watch the video back and watch both of them together and then you go, oh, there must be some like glisten in my eyes or something like that. Let's just push that joke <laughs> over the finish line. And then for the next like 20 times you do that joke that's not working, you're trying to recreate the first time and then, so, <laughs> it's so bizarre. And then you go, after 25 times, you go, oh, for fuck's sake, it doesn't work anymore. And then you not caring for some reason makes the joke work. Um, so basically, we usually, whenever I have a bit that works, it's usually been through so many deaths and so many <laughs> me talking to, like, as you did to yourself, talking to you at the side of the stage going, what do you think? Do you, do you like, what's your opinion on this? It's like each, I think most comedians don't realise I've all I've used them all as kind of like in my brain as going, well, Stu thinks it would work that way, but then this guy thinks it would work that way. Yeah, or Stu right. thinks it would work that way. And then maybe if I do a combination of all of them. So you're all you bitches are all my writers. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what what do you think this podcast is? All of you bitches yeah, are yeah, my exactly. all, of you, all of you are my mentors. That's how I'm doing it. Um so that's that's really interesting because you are such a like you you were really like when you were saying that glisten that glint in your eye that that your connection with them it's so there right you've got one of those connections with an audience you could walk on just sort of twinkle at us and we're like yeah okay come on then um so like the temptation would be for a lot of acts i think to rely on that like we've all seen acts who who could have achieved more perhaps than they've achieved because they're coasting on a twinkle like mm, and but yeah. you've got the twinkle and you've got you've also got this kind of and i don't want to use the word angst again necessarily but you've got <laughs> it, but it, it's more than simply a work ethic it's like what you're after it sounds from how you're describing it it sounds like you are it doesn't work until it works every single time yeah well the i think is because even though the, when i always the way i work it is like the you know how Chris Rock does his material deadpan the first time? I have heard that, yeah. Um, and I, watching Richard Pryor live in Smoking, I think, because Chris Rock loves Richard Pryor stuff, and I think he's taking it from Richard Pryor because watching, I think it's live in Smoking, watching Richard Pryor's live in Smoking, it's like, wow, he just stands behind the mic. That's so un-Richard Pryor. Yeah. And then you think, oh, fuck, he must have like just done it that way to kind of build it up. And I kind of, I kind of do that myself with um, making it, trying to make it work because I kind of figure out the wording of the joke, and then even having to think, do I wink at this point or like smile at this point, <laughs> and then I work it down to my legs. <laughs> it's because the thing I always find the funnest thing is doing the physical stuff because, because like. We, when we watch ourselves back, we know the joke. So the joke's not as funny to us anymore. Yeah. But like, you're more likely to laugh at a picture of yourself that you look silly in than a bit of material you've had to perform like a few hundred times. Okay. So when I, I can enjoy watching myself back when I've done something physical because I don't get, I don't have to hear myself be physical on stage all the time, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, okay. This is it reminds me of um, Ellis James. Uh, I, I remember when he was on the show, he was talking about how sometimes he'd script the bit longhand once it worked, but he'd look at the sort of transcript of it and then he'd go through with a thesaurus and try and make the words more interesting. 
Like, you yeah, know, yeah. like say famished rather than hungry, stuff like that. Just really tweak it. And that almost feels like a sort of a physical version of that where you're watching it back going, would this be better if my knees were splayed and I was leaning back at a 45 degree <laughs> angle? <laughs> it's to, it is deranged, man. I, I genuinely have had um, mates come to my gig because uh, there's a guy that I used to have come to my gig every day in Edinburgh. Okay. Um, so I would be able to talk to somebody afterwards because in Edinburgh, nobody gives a fuck about, like, um, you know, the, anybody else's show apart from their own. And yeah. that's, that's completely fair enough. But I thought if I pay for somebody's accommodation and someone's opinion I trust and give them money, would I rather at the end of Edinburgh have be able to have talked through every... Because it's not... It wasn't my director because my director was busy with other shows as well. Sure. But I was like, would I, at the end of the month, I'd rather have a show that I'd worked on every single day and someone there going... Thinking, well, I've paid for this person to be there to use them to kind of like discuss what that... Sh- okay. What could improve the show... I'd rather have, I'd rather spend a bit of extra money because I'm going to be fucking poor at the end of August anyway. <laughs> and at the end of it, have a good, a product I'm happy with. Yeah, that's basic. I think in theatre that would be called a dramaturg, but I don't know if it works. Is that what it's called? I th- yeah, I think so. I feel like I, I'm not, I may be wrong about that, but I feel like there's a thing, particularly in European theatre, a dramaturg is kind of working alongside of the show. It's sort of as, is different to being. A director. I think maybe that's not the right word, but you've effectively, that's a really smart idea to have a kind of confidant who after each show, I mean, I've had that sometimes. Um, my friend Jay was teching my show one year, but was just particularly personally invested in it and was mm. not simply teching it, but also show running. And one of their jobs was to come to me before each show and say, remember to calm down. You know, I'd be like, I'd be yeah, backstage yeah, yeah. at a free fringe venue. I'd be backstage kind of going, I think someone just walked in at the back. I'm peeking through. I think they I think they might be a problem. And part of their, their job was to come in and go, stop looking at them. It's not, don't worry about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and so there was a certain amount of back and forth afterwards about the content. But that's really interesting. I think that's really, that is very representative of your, like a very uh, hands-on approach. A rigorous is the word. It's like a rigorous approach to going, this is going to happen. I'm not just going to coast through a, a fringe run where I turn up, give it my best shot, and then that's me for the day. But it's like constantly evolving and, and working on it. Is, well, you can tell why it fucked me off when my agent said I wasn't hardworking enough. <laughs> oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, do you fucking know me, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> when was that? That was a few months ago. I don't know, though. I was, I was, I, I, I was like, right. That chat can fucking get the fuck, by the way. I'm not having any of that. <laughs> this is the only thing I work at. It's probably a test. Probably a test. It was. That's the thing. My, my director knows, like, my director knows me so well, and I'm pretty sure my agent does as well because of that. Because my, uh, the Bampot show I did, uh, that was 2018 in Edinburgh. Um, bef- uh, so that ended up getting, like, nominated and did well. But then, uh, bef- like a week before that show went to Edinburgh, my director I've worked on all my shows with says, to, uh, "I says, what do you think of the show? What do you actually think? Because I feel like you're holding back on what you actually think of the, the show." Um, <laughs> and he goes, "Well, I've done that a lot. I've done all this a long time, and I think sometimes you have to just go. You know what? It might. It's not my strongest show, but it, it may, you know that you're going to do Edinburgh the year after anyway." 
if you don't have the strongest show you've ever done before, it's not the big de- a big deal. Holy and shit. And that, like, alarm bells in my head. And then when I talked to him on the last week of the Fringe, I said, I can't believe you said uh, that this was my like one of my weakest shows. And then he goes, do you honestly think after knowing you for five years, I don't know what gets you working? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! So now you've got to play the back and forth game with the people around you, the yeah, people who I mean, are Team Larry. <laughs> I'm paying people to gaslight me. <laughs> oh my god! Is there um does does that and does that work for you? Does that work yeah, for you? Someone going, the, I don't think you've worked hard enough on this. Is that actually a useful thing? That would crumple me. But actually, does that make you go, well, I'll fucking show you? Totally, man. Like the the it's a. Uh, I write more after I've been broken up with because I think for revenge, I'm going to try and make sure I get, appear on their fucking television. I'm the <laughs> most petty person. The, the reason why I got into comedy it was out of someone saying I wasn't funny. Go on. And my dad said to me, because um, I wanted to do comedy because I made my mates laugh and stuff in school. And then uh, I says to my dad, I'm like, I'm going to go down south and become a comedian. And then he was like, but you're not funny. And then he kept, no matter what I did, he'd just do the, like a stare at me and just be like, yeah, that's not funny. And so that was, when he did that, <laughs> I was love. like, okay. fucking bring it on, you fucking ball bag. So I, uh, <laughs> that was the whole, it's always in my head, kind of thinking, oh, I'm not funny, I'm not funny. But then, so, I you see when you said about the, get me get along well with an audience, the, the thing that that is actually, the bad thing about that is, you know, when comedians say, oh, it's annoying because sometimes the audience think I'm their friend and then they come up to me in the street and then they'll not even remember that I'm a comedian. They just start talking to me. Sure, yeah, yeah. I have the kind of, it's gone past that bizarre point of people get in touch with me to give me feedback and I'm like, I know I'm self-deprecating, but I don't need you to tell me what you think works and what doesn't work. Yeah. I've had a few occasions of which on Twitter they've gone, I thought of a joke for you. I'm like, I don't want to hear your fucking <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Um bye. And then it gets it gets that weird thing of like, is this hate mail or is this yeah, them just passive to talk aggressive to me? fan mail? Totally, man. I've had one before in which some guy messaged me saying, Hey Larry. Uh, have you ever thought of talking about being gay on stage? Because I don't think you've mentioned that. Right? <laughs> so I thought, I was like, right, I'm going to respond. This will be easy. I'll respond to this one. So I responded to him uh, on Twitter saying, uh, well, I guess you've not heard my 10-minute routine about pumping your mum. <laughs> then, uh, but then someone underneath that went, routine, you're the least funny comedian I've ever seen in my life. You're the fucking worst. Uh, you're an embarrassment to Scotland, all that stuff. That was somebody else. Not and then the guy who originally sent me that went, ha 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 ha, fair play, Larry, love your stuff. And then and then and then he messaged the person who actually gave me hate and went, calm the fuck down, you weirdo. <laughs> I was just like, that is was, extraordinary. What a what a complex set of relationships. <laughs> I totally, but I, I I can't handle it. Like even the because um, some people can like, have a go at me for saying that I've done the same material or whatever. Um, because there's only so much stuff that I've got videoed mm-hmm. um, and also I, the video that you watched the fan Dan I'm not happy with that recording so I'll never release it yeah right okay 
Um, but then uh, I, I didn't mean to say that too fast, as if no, as no, if no, to no. Imply, <laughs> I could see why you. No, no, no. I mean it's it's not a you know it's not like a the, the copy I saw was like it felt bootleggy rather than pro thing. Yeah, but it was yeah. a great it's show. It was a fantastic that, I, performance. I wasn't happy with the performance of it though. Why? Uh, why not? Well, let's let's discuss a thing that the listening public will never see, but in, in not too much detail. <laughs> but but why not? Why weren't you happy with that? It was great. Um, the the stage is quite small. Yes, okay. And it was shot also, at the stand, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even use I didn't even use the width of a small stage, which is a kind of bad habit because when you've got a big stage you feel like oh I can move, but you've got when you've got a small stage you can still move. Yeah, yeah, okay. But for some reason you feel as if you can't because there's that fear of what who's the guy who played Fraser? That guy. Did you ever see that video of him falling off the stage? <laughs> no, I don't think I did. Oh, oh I, I can never not think of Kelsey, that whenever Kelsey I'm on a small Grammar. stage. Okay. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer. There's a video of him falling off a stage, and I think I saw that and just thought, I better not never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't move around enough. And also, I remember on I was quite uh, my my shoulders were quite high. Okay. So watching myself, I'm thinking, I'm looking at myself, going, I feel like I, I look quite stressed. I don't think that comes across at all, but I do know how important it is to release a thing that oneself is happy with. But I, I mean, I, I don't think that came across. Are you? What's, what's your kind of, um, what's your outside eye doing during the performance? Are you aware? Like, how, is it a struggle to lose yourself in a performance? Are you too busy correcting yourself and and sort of visualizing everything you're doing? Are you ever in a sort of fun free fall? Of just like I'm flowing and I'm doing this is this is a gig, or are you always going? Oh, I'm not. I'm not happy with that. I could be doing this differently. Quick, uh, three more degrees on the knee bend. You know. Like yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> or is that does, does that happen throughout the gig, or is that just afterwards? Um, no, the that that's through it as well. But then the best gigs are always the ones that you don't think it's the most annoying thing because. But then you start thinking, oh, this would be so much better if I wasn't thinking about it too much. And then you start thinking about why you're thinking about it, and you just get trapped in this fucking like interstellar yeah. kind of like uh, this spiral. But the the gigs that I tend to be the loosest at are the new material ones when I don't have enough time. Okay. So if I do, uh, but then weirdly the worst ones I do is new material when it's a long one. So like if I do an hour preview, chances are it might be a disaster because I'm trying to think of too many things at once, and my memory is not actually that good. But then if it's like red raw at the stand, like five or ten minutes, and I'm like, oh, I've, I've, I always think, oh, I don't have enough jokes for ten minutes. All these, there's not enough jokes. But then when you get to like, to the third joke, and then you look at your watch and you're like, oh, fucking hell, it's five minutes already. That <laughs> last five minutes when I know I've definitely got enough stuff is yeah. like, um, what was the thing about, my pal gave me such a nice compliment. Uh, he said, he said, Sometimes when you do a new material gig, it's like it's almost like if the floor is taken beneath you, you grow wings because <laughs> I'll start coming up with stuff off the top of my head because I'm like, oh, panicky. Yes. Um, and, that's quite, th- and that's quite a good kind of creative place for you to be in because you know that it's almost like you've fulfilled your obligations. You've done the stuff. You've done enough stuff. And now it's almost sometimes the best gigs are when when everyone's united against a common 
logistical problem you know like if the lights uh, go or the sound goes or something and then afterwards there's this it's intent it's kind of in turn what's the word intrinsically heroic to have continued so the yeah, wings yeah. grow so you kind of you get put in that place when you're like i've got no time left i've got to hurry and then the fact of hurrying means that you've got a thing to fight against exactly it's like when um uh, when you, about when uh like someone if someone heckles and is heckling through the night and you think oh if I get them to leave, it's either going to turn into the best gig ever and everyone's going to be like, we did it, we got rid of them, or it's going to be the worst gig ever when I have to stand there on stage and wait for somebody to leave. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. But I, I love that. Uh, that that kind of fight, because even I had that on the Zoom gig uh, last week, um, and because I, I said something off the cuff, and then I was like, and then it made, because uh, Lou Conran was also in the house and it made her laugh. And I was like, oh yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm running out of time. And then I came up with other stuff off the cuff and I've wrote it all down and I'm like, oh, this is fucking brilliant. I'm a genius. But I know for a fact the next time I do it, it's not going to, it's not going to be funny because it's still, the joke might still actually be a good joke and work in the future. But I'll go back to that thing of 20 times having to do it different yeah. ways because <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to recreate that moment. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Well, one of the central, like one of the biggest tensions, I think, in comedy is trying to say a thing as if you're saying it for the first time when it's very scripted. Obviously, there are some comics who are literally saying it for the first time, but much fewer, much fewer of us than people think. Um, but then do you not think as well as it's not even um, pretending you're saying it for the first time? It's, I always think comedians a lot of the time are actors um, pretending it's going well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like because sometimes you just see people just do the material uh, the same way. They, I mean, I've seen it. Like I did a gig to like three people, and I can't use a microphone of those three people because it just it's using a microphone when there's not enough people. It, I don't know. It's not for every comedian, but for me, I think um, when I do it, it looks as if it's contrived. Yeah. As if I'm pretending it's a gig more than they are thinking it's a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair days. <laughs> so when I, and I find that with the, I mean, this is so snobby, right? But I find that when I watch Zoom gigs, I can't take the comedian seriously if they are holding a microphone or I see worse, holding something that is the shape of a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little comfort blanket, a little, yeah. little meringue microphone. There we go, that's me. I'm in the game. Because I even think holding a piece of paper has got more of a, thing than that because uh, the reason why I'd love to not use a microphone on stage but then most places don't you know uh, don't do that they don't allow that yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but then holding a piece of paper I think is half the thing of a new material night because then you've, you've literally got a prop but you've not you've got an excuse to use that prop because they know what it's there for but you can take it in a different direction but if you take out a different prop like oh here's a fucking puppet or whatever like that yeah. people go well this better be bloody good <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you get out your notebook they're like well these jokes better be 60% <laughs> ready yeah yeah um, so, but so yeah I start pretending it's a map and shit and then it means I get to do an impression of like a news anchor um, yeah. and that was, a, that was the thing I did the other night on Zoom I, like, I, I was talking about a bizarre memory I had about my first ever orgasm and then I took the piece of paper out and I was like what, what was my first orgasm like and I was like why am I having to look at a piece of paper to like find out what my orgasm was and I said also oh, it's like a news reporter and I started reading it off but then that's about I came up with off the top of my head I said we've had a scientific breakthrough 
of Larry Dean's first orgasm, it is very similar to Moore's law because it got twice as quick as yours went on. But it was just like, <laughs> my brain was just kind of going, but I was in my happy place because I was looking at a piece of paper. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I was like, yeah. So I was like, oh, it's, it's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm holding a piece of paper, so there's nothing to worry about. Yes. Tell me about new new stuff, just while we're on it. What? How much? How many words are written on the piece of paper? Is it just, is it bullet points? You know, what? Um, and when do you know something is a, a good enough idea to turn into a, to scribble on a piece of paper? Or is it just everything? Uh, no, it's not definitely not everything. I, I'm always like, because uh, also half the time there's bits in which I've got to like figure out if it's offensive as well. Because, and then I've got to like, um, so well, like, the, there was a story a couple of years ago I did in my show and it was about me uh, sucking off a guy with excess skin. <laughs> and myself and my director were like crying with laughter about this story, right? But then the issue we had was it's like, it's at the end of the day, it's kind of laughing at some guy with excess skin. Yeah. So we had to... Literally, like, figure that that story can only go on a show because they need to trust me. They need you. You know, you've got to have that like levels of trust, and that requires forty minutes of trust. Yes, yes, <laughs> and yes, it requires me. I've snuck caveats into the show before that to make sure that the caveats would cover my ass when I got to that story. <laughs> so and calculating. I, I, don't, I don't even, like, I don't even say the caveats. I don't even say, I don't even refer to them when I'm doing the story. Yes. But in the, the bit before, it's like, oh, uh, it's kind of like putting, it's almost like that fucking Darren Brown shit of, I'm going to put it in their head that I'm a yes. good person. We're going to peg that people. I don't judge people based on their physical appearance. Ten exactly. minutes later, we're going to peg that I'm cool. Yeah, okay, fine. So that's all. I'm going to get a tattoo on my head of that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. Oh, yeah. So, but like the, the, the new material stuff, I'll just write notes of like bullet points mainly. But then I'll also put, I'll put um, the, it's usually stuff that I know my mates have laughed at and I'll have, you know, tried it out of my mates before. Because uh, I've got a pal that lives in London, but uh, he does like open mics and stuff. And we talk on the phone most days. And I'm like, if it makes him laugh, it'll probably make an audience laugh or whatever. Okay. Or even, I see it, like, my mum's actually a good shout as well. I don't say I'm doing the bit, but like if I, I, I did a joke about hemorrhoids that made my mum laugh her head off on the phone. And I was like, if that can make my 60-year-old mum laugh about hemorrhoids, <laughs> then it has to work on stage. <laughs> but yeah. It's, but basically, it means that all my friendships and family life is contrived because I'm just doing it to try and get material in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because you are someone who, like, the bulk of your material is this thing happened to me. I saw this happen. You're kind of mining your, oh, you know, this is my parents. This is my friends. Um, you're kind of mining funny things having happened. Is that... I... Does, do you ever worry that you'll run out of funny things to happen or that you ever, have you ever felt like I've got to put myself in a situation here so that something happens so I can get some gear out of it? Um, kind, yeah, there's, there has been points that I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like I'm, de I can def, I'm definitely doing this just to try and get a laugh. Of I brought a but... fire extinguisher to a zoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I've, I've honestly been having sex before and I thought, I'm only doing this to try and get a, a new bit of it. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I know it's bad, but then actually since lockdown, uh, I've started remembering loads of fucking weird ass stories. And, but then also, I, I didn't, I used to hate caveats, eh, not caveats, um, what do you call it in a show when it's sad? The 50 minute mark. Um, oh, yeah. Well, pathos. <laughs> pathos. Um, I used to hate pathos mm-hmm. um, because I think a lot of comedians do because they're just like, oh, it's such a hack thing to do. You know, like some, we've all had family relatives, relatives that have died and stuff. But then I actually, I've noticed that I actually can make jokes so much funnier in a longer show. So I even start when I I was doing the, the remembering all these stories uh, at the beginning of lockdown and I started like uh, just writing them on Instagram because that's, I don't like putting stuff on Twitter because then you get too many opinions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I thought I'll put it on Instagram and then uh, I put the funny ones and then I'd eventually put in a sad memory I had. Yeah. But I noticed that actually the sad memory stood out for people, but then it made them really laugh at the next story. Uh, I was like, fuck, uh, it even works when it's wrote down of um, a 50-minute mark. It, fucking hell, I'm putting 50-minute marks on my Instagram stories. What the fuck is wrong with me, man? That's an interesting discovery. That is a, an interesting and terrible discovery. But uh, of course, you know... But then I'm, like, I'm trying to link fucking wanking to, like, oh, my granddad. You know? <laughs> So this is Larry, bundles of stuff to enjoy here. And let's not forget, there's 20 minutes of extra content available exclusively to members of the Insiders Club, which include Larry's rules for a good gig, some of which were very surprising. And I know that sounds clickbaity, but I love it. Anytime anyone says, like, do you remember Paul Foote saying, do you, have I told you about my seven types of jokes? And this was Larry going, um, oh, well, obviously I've got my rules. And I'm, yes, go on, tell us the rules, tell us the rules. So those are all available, as is a little tip, just a little tip, a micro tip um, about how to use Facebook to, um, uh, how to tweak a certain, not even a tweak, but just a, a thing. Basically, we talk about how Larry's the sort of person who bothers going on the occasional course to find out about how to make stuff work online. And uh, I don't want to be too clickbaity about that. It's interesting, um, but it's more that it kind of, it forms part of a conversation about Exactly that, which is more and more important now that everything is online. Still, there are some live gigs back and we'll talk about them in a little bit. But on the subject of online things, here's a little tangent. Have you seen what's happened with Nigel Ung's Instagram and his YouTube? Um, Mere moments, a few weeks after he appeared on this podcast. And let's let's not hastily draw any (laughs) parallels between his appearance on this podcast and him going massively viral when his Uncle Roger character skipped to like like tens of millions of YouTube views. He's now that guy who, oh, have you seen that thing? And everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that thing. And um, it's worth revisiting that episode if you haven't already, because what Nigel discovered was that when, because he'd been so analytical in his, uh, the formulation of everything that he has on YouTube and on Instagram, when one of them went properly viral, the audience flocked to his YouTube channel and binged watched everything. And then it really just bounced up from there. So a fascinating case study um, about how he jumped. No, a fascinating case study as we listen to someone who, unbeknownst to them in that interview, is about to jump from, I'm plucking the figures out of the air, but it's something like 
20,000 YouTube followers to 200,000 YouTube followers in the space of a week and counting. So um, catch up with that that episode. That's the one before, uh, well, it's two, three episodes ago um, on your feed, which you're looking at right now. So kindly do that after we get back to this episode with Larry Dean. Um, the point I was trying to make earlier on, and you'll notice that this break has not done me any favours in terms of my ability to concentrate on any one thing, is that you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get the extra content from the Larry episode, from all the ones recently, the Nigel Young one as well, um, and, uh, and much more besides. Thank you to everyone who has been signing up. And thank you as well to anybody that has been paying attention to my other creative endeavours. I'm going to tell you about two of them now in 30 seconds and uh, and then we'll get back to this episode. So the first of them, unless you've been living under a rock, you will know, is The Infinite Sofa, which is a chat show I'm doing. It's kind of Graham Norton meets Gogglebox. We're on episode 36. It's been going great. Um, three guests and a massively interactive element whereby people in a Zoom room get spy kind of live vision mix it as I uh, host the show, um, interview people, really, really interactive games. And there's just so much invention going on in there. And, and what I want is for more and more of you to come on board and discover it because it's in danger of becoming a cult <laughs> because it's enormously loved and held dear by a relatively small amount of people who are wonderful and contribute to it enormously. But I've got this vision of it being even more of a kind of rolling, a katamari, as I'm fond of saying, which that will mean something to 2% of you, but it's based on a Japanese video game. Um, the idea being a kind of rolling gathering thing which builds momentum and, and the more people get involved in it, the more different types and surprises and contributions we will have. So uh, please discover that. I've broken the 30 second rule, but I'll be quick. There's a new thing loosely based on that, a kind of refining of the idea and a kind of cracking open of the idea, which I'm now doing on Wednesdays at, let's say, eight o'clock. That may change. Again, twitch.tv slash Stu Goldsmith. Oh, it's just a website. You don't need to sign in or anything. Just turn up and watch it at um, Wednesdays at eight-ish. Um, and uh, that is currently called as the working title Think Tank, which is taking what we've learned about being interactive in small communities and that community being a bunch of people who are all online. I, say, I keep saying community. What I mean is audience, fan base, question mark, viewership. Um, but when people are sitting watching TV at home, you're just sitting there passively watching TV. And every so often, maybe you could, you know, ring in if you're watching out to deck. You can dial in and vote or something. This is like that idea taken to a ludicrous extent whereby you can run the show, co-host the show, ask the guest things. And I, I'm really loathe to spill any of the ideas we've had for Think Tank because some of them are genuinely revolutionary and some of them just make me grin to think of. But if you imagine everyone in the audience is completely connected to the internet, we can do anything we want and we're going to give some really fun experiences to our celebrity guests against the clock, right? That's all I'll say for now. It's so joyful. Um, but you can find out all about that. Go to infinitesofa.com, join the mailing list there or at comedianscomedian.com and I will keep you abreast of all of that. Is that all over the place enough for you? Good. You can see that working on Twitch has also done nothing for my ability to concentrate. Here is more from the brilliant Larry Dean. It's like a superpower you've got that you... Um, have got such a strong Glaswegian accent and yet a big raft of, I mean, they're basically impressions you can do. It's not like you're really good at accents. You're really good at act outs. You're really good at accents. And so you can morph in quite a satisfying sort of way. And it's quite fun. Like you've got that in your back pocket as a revelation that you can just pull out and go bang. You know, you've got a look scary. You know, you can make yourself look a bit scary. 
Um, I remember what was one of your opening lines about um, uh, like we like we're friendly Glaswegians we're friendly but we'd, we'd give you directions and then follow you to make sure you got there that kind of you know you're playing with yeah. that idea of being frightening oh man I've, I regret that joke that's a weird joke because I regret it because it's annoying of people think that's Kevin Bridges's joke ah and but his one's different much different because he says um, oh it's like uh, the yeah, Glasgow's the stab capital of Europe, but it was also named Britain's friendliest city. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll stab you, but you'll get directions to the hospital, something like that. Ah, uh, right? sure, okay. So then, it's the combination of friendliness and directions. Exactly. Sure. So people were like, "Oh, he's copying Kevin Bridges' joke," and I was like, "I fucking performed that joke in front of Kevin twice, and he didn't say anything about it. And also, he met up with me before live with the Apollo to give me advice and said, "Yeah, do that joke. It's funny." I'm like, I don't think I'm copying this <laughs> fucking joke. I, that, I feel like that must be a bugbear for you of like because there are so effectively because there are so few Scottish working class voices in comedy, you're always going to get compared to Kevin or Billy. Well, that, the other thing as well is I'm not working class. I get reviewed all the time as being working class. And I'm like, no, I'm actually very middle class. But I was can... about to say this and I read a review that said you were working class and I went, oh, right, I was going to pick him up on that and go, aren't you secretly middle class? And then I, yeah, yeah. I fussed it like a coward because I'd read it in a review. How pathetic is that? It's nev- no, not at all, man. It was, it's never, what's it called? It's never um, been a secret as well. Like, because um, I even, I did a joke about, because my mum's, very middle class and my dad's east end of Glasgow working class but then I grew up in the south side of Glasgow which is middle class yeah so I says I grew up in a middle class household uh, but then uh, I was raised working class yes I remember that bit I remember that bit aye so but it's basically that thing of like um so yeah, we're, 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 what's it called? Privileged, but we've got made to feel guilty about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so with, I was just talking about revelations, like ways that you can wrong foot and surprise us. And obviously like a big bomb for you to drop is that you're gay because I, you, you're like, you're kind of post camp gay. <laughs> I don't know what the phrase yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> like we're used to, we have, we like the wider audience have preconceptions about what gay men do and don't do. And what they, and certainly gay men in comedy, how they look and how they sound. And so that's like a real, you can just detonate that anytime you want, right? You can, like, I mean, even in Fandan at the beginning, you mentioned you being gay, you, you mentioned you being gay, and then do a party popper. And it's just oh, fucking, yeah. it is, that is such a camp 2.0, that like, gay 2.0. Do you know what I mean? That whole thing of like, it's such a good joke because you're just playing with our expectations in just such a lovely, gentle, silly way. It's such yeah, a beautiful I- gag. Usually every year, I have to think of, oh, how am I going to come out this year? Do you? <laughs> yeah. It's Do like, uh, it's, what's it called? It's fun though, because, well, I didn't, in Bamport, I didn't, in Bamport, I was like, well, I've, you know, everyone pretty much knows now, because um, I sent that letter out, uh, but most people know now. And I thought, but I thought if I just don't even mention it, and... I thought that'll be better if I don't mention it because even if the people in the audience don't know, there's this thing of like they'll feel proud of themselves that they didn't make a big deal out of it. They'll be kind of like going, oh, he just mentioned he's got a boyfriend and he's a man as well. I'm fine with that. Because if there's one thing fringe audiences love is how accepting they are. So (laughs) I thought, fuck it, I'll play on that. Uh, 
because they even oh well, the last show fud not did I come out as gay oh, I just did it at the very top but then I've yeah. already thought of like I, I just did the the what's it called new material gig the other night I just said I came out a different way and it's usually just kind of saying to the audience going I'm gay uh, in case you didn't know and then just kind of moving on with a bit um, because sometimes it's fucking odd man sometimes I'll say uh, you know talk about my ex-boyfriend and then people in the audience are like does he realise he's gay? (laughs) Should we we tell him? It's the weirdest thing, isn't it? That relationship we have to a crowd, like the slightest thing, like not having mentioned it, it's almost like you're on stage and your fly's undone. Do you know what I mean? There's like, there's, there's something whereby like, unless everyone is absolutely on the same page, they can't cope with it. Aye. And it's, I'm like, some people even say to me afterwards, they go, Oh, so do you, were you pretending to be to be gay? Or like, were you? And I'm like, well, that's always the bad gigs as well. It's never like the good gigs. Like, there's always the bad gigs that the, and you think, oh man, I, fuck it. I mean, I must not have looked confident on stage if I'm barely, I'm not even like, even able to say that I'm gay without looking a bit <laughs> like. But you're not really, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I suppose we are also as audiences, we're indoctrinated into, like I said, a, a certain idea of what a gay person looks like. Like, I guess that I wonder if you take any individual person from one of your audiences, I wonder how many gay people they know who, are, who aren't camp, who aren't vis- or, or visibly gay in some other more usual kind of way. Um, yeah, but then at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it's an annoying kind of, um, what do you call it? it like I, it's an annoying balance because the... Gay people give me shit sometimes for like not because they think I'm uh, and got internalized homophobia. No, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, I don't like I, I have hated myself before for being gay, but I definitely don't know. It's my career, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I definitely don't. But then uh, but then it's the thing of them. But I'm like, do you you're mis uh, miscru- What do you call it? Mis- misconstruing. Mis- misconstruing uh, self-deprecation for self-hating and me not acting as if, like, I'm loud and proud. Or, like, I'm just acting like I'm a fucking... I'm, well, I just act like a goon on stage anyway. Yeah. But, like, me taking the piss out of myself for some reason gets misconstrued as, oh, he, he hates the fact that he's gay. I'm like, of all the reasons I hate myself, gay is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Potential show title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's really that is fascinating because there are like that's one of those things that would not have occurred to me at all. Like when you say fringe audiences love that they're accepting, I completely get that, but I would not have made that observation myself. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, I like yeah, I yeah. can compl- of course those smarmy kind of we're at a fringe. Do you know what I mean? And listen, I don't really slag off fringe audiences. I rely on yeah. them and oh, love them. But but it's that kind of thing of like okay, I'm really going to go out there on a whim, but I think racism is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but when it comes to like, do you think that there are older gay comics who are perpetuating a particular version of gayness? Is that ever, is that ever a problem for you? I, I can think of one older gay comic who I was with some gay friends of mine in their thirties and they were a bit like rolling their eyes at me slightly like, Oh, are we still doing this? Like, like that guy's letting the side down by being mega camp do you know what um, I mean does that yeah is, where I, are you I, on that 
No, like when it comes to like the mega camp kind of um, older comics, I don't know if it's like I don't think it's perpetuating the the, the stereotype or whatever. I think that's half the half the thing of like we all come in different sizes and that. It's like uh, well, it's like Gremlins too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a fabulous parallel. Yeah, yeah. Like, what, because you're all monstrosities. Let's make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all keep we all came from something very beautiful. And, uh, but the, no, the thing I really that is not actually the the because the older gays, um, the ones that do the, are stereotypical. Um, I don't think it's um, it's actually have a bad effect anyway because they're actually very loved now by the public because like if you think of like Graham Norton and um, Julian Clary and stuff, they're really loved by the public because. I don't think UK people hate camp comedy. If anything, it's much. It's quite a UK thing. Yeah, and it's actually made the comedians more. It made gay people kind of more lovable as well because it's like, wow, they're actually you know, because one of the stereotypes of gay men is that they are, um, you know, great fun to be around. Women love them because they're always at a party having good fun and stuff like that. It's difficult to hate as a community when the stereotype is, oh, those fucking gays are always so much fun. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? <laughs> sure. But but then the one, the, the thing that I get annoyed at nowadays is like, although there is kind of social justice stuff that needs to be done, is when some of the gay community get offended at stuff that isn't actually something that's worth your time to get offended. It's like that thing of if you, you know, if you pick on, like every single thing that people ever do, mm-hmm. like comedian wise, I'm like, I'm not trying to start hate with anybody. I'm not trying to bully anyone. I'm only I'm gonna take the piss out of myself. But I always kind of think like, there's a we're getting a stereotype now, and there's always a difficult thing of with a minority of people, you can get stereotyped easily as, as soon as enough of them start doing it. I'm like, we're gonna get the stereotype that we don't have a sense of humor, and that's the worst stereotype you can ever have. Like that. That stereotype's so bad, that's what we gave Germany as punishment for the war. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a bit? You're trying a bit? No, no. I wasn't, <laughs> it's, a good, I wasn't it's good. It's good. It's a good oh, bit. Cheers. Okay, cool. Right, I'll go. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, then, that's... Um, yeah, I see yeah, what you mean. It's an annoying thing because I'm like, I'm like, yeah, there's some things that you think, yeah, you shouldn't joke about that kind of thing. But then... Other times I'm like, oh, but I mean, that, that's always the fucking grey area. Like, half the people that that do that stuff or don't go to comedy anyway because they won't enjoy comedy because they'll get they'll get annoyed at everything the comedian's going to say and most, yeah. most of them fucking hate me anyway but I'm a bit like stop doing it so much because you're going to get all the gays into trouble we we love <laughs> we love our fun stereotype we might not all be fun but it's a nice stereotype to have yeah it's certainly a more fun stereotype than I mean that's that's how I feel about when when comics are kind of painted as woke like I, I don't think I don't think any sensible human being would say I am woke and mean it as anything other than a joke. And it's just like yeah. you kind of create a term meaning I'm, I'm kind and I'm trying to be aware of the world. <laughs> you know what I mean, um, I, and then it ends up just getting turned into a weapon to attack you with. And it's like, isn't that supposed to be the other way around? Shouldn't we be, shouldn't we, you know, anyone who is feeling put upon be using the language of the oppressor rather than coming up with a term, painting yourself with it, and then the oppressor goes, "Great, I'll have that." It just—it seems—it feels they're all going around. Oh, I know. I don't like who. I really don't like who politicised all the, um, what do you call it, uh, comedy is, and it's like you have to get involved in it because the, like, I think people like assume that I'm like a fucking socialist and all that kind of stuff just because I'm mates with a lot of like, and I'm like, I'm 
left center, but for some reason I get shit for being left center, and I'm just like, Ugh. Mm. you know, I'm not like a huge. What's it called? I'm not usually into the politics stuff. I don't really want to talk about it <laughs> at, at all on stage. But it's like, no, it's your duty to talk about this kind of stuff. But I think as well, I didn't even realize I was making a fucking statement by like being non-camp on stage. This is quite, yeah. I mean, for, for Glasgow, this is just gay. I mean, I'm in Glasgow, I'm the campus guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, Paradigm shift in my head, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've never like, what's it called? I never thought I was doing anything specifically of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to like show the world that like, sure, you know, all yeah. gay guys are the same. But then it just so happened, I started like looking at like my reviews and I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's apparently that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, I, apparently I the just... voice of a generation. No, nice. <laughs> 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 so yeah, but then I think that, that kind of fuck, that can fuck with my head a wee bit as well because I don't, I hate the feeling that I'm representing a community because I'm like, because if you represent like more than just yourself, then you can let more people, you can let people down. And I'm mm. like, if I just keep acting like myself and not think about it too much, I'm not going to be a cunt. So I'll just kind of think, well, I'll just, you know, I don't have, don't think too much about what, uh, like what I'm representing or anything like that, because otherwise yeah. you just kind of, you, oh, so you get a fucking, I mean, I've, uh, there's comedians that have an ego and a half. I think there's like, there's a low status comedians and a high status comedians, and I'm definitely low status. The fact that the, com- the fact that, as I said before, the audience members, Message me to give me ideas for bits. <laughs> I think that shows how low a fucking state is. Um. Let's talk about um, shame and shamelessness. Because, like, some of your stuff, like, and you've alluded to that excess skin bit earlier on. Some of your stuff's okay. very graphic. Some of your stuff is, and even even stuff that isn't necessarily graphic, like you talk about your parents on stage, you take the piss out of your parents. So let's, like, that's something that I will do, but I'll be very cagey about doing that because I don't want to upset my mum. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's like a certain amount of that. Whereas you feel very, that's a, that's a really refreshing element of, the stuff that you do, you feel very free, you know, like that, it feels like one of the, one of the gleeful things as an audience member watching you is kind of going, Oh, fucking Larry can just say what he wants. You know what I mean? Like you've just, you found where you fit in the world and you're like, I could just say whatever about whoever and whatever. Do you oh, it's, mean? Nice, it's nice for someone to say that about me and it's not a kind of Brexiteery kind of thing. <laughs> oh, he just says it, mate. He just says how it is. But I like we used to, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, 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 my mum doesn't, my mum doesn't mind, my dad doesn't mind, none of them mind as long as I don't like actually name who they are. So I can take the piss out of any of them, and I, and I, I think it puts people off dating me though, because then uh, they think, yeah. oh, if I do, and I had a guy I went out with who made me promise I wasn't going to do material on him, and I ended up doing material on him because he said to me that he broke up with me because he said I was controlling and I'm like you told me what I can and cannot say on stage that's controlling behaviour don't give me your fucking I don't know if that argument holds water logically (laughs) you know what it's a belter of a bit so that's (laughs) well that is logic has never stood in the way of uh, a bit going down well (laughs) oh totally man well well, the audience comes first Um, (laughs) sorry I'm doing my duty I've got people to represent (laughs) yeah there are six, um, there are sixty million people, eight billion people plus two in uh, in this relationship. Yeah, <laughs> you, me, exactly. and them. Um, but then uh, sex stuff, I don't even understand why it's offensive. Because 
it's there's such a weird like it's like a generational shift of if you do a joke to an older audience about sex, they will be like, that is offensive. You shouldn't talk about that stuff on stage. And then you do that, if you do a joke about, like, my major stereotyping old people here, but say you do a joke that's like, actually, we don't even have to go with, like, race or homophobia, but if mm-hmm. I do a joke about homeless people mm-hmm. to a room full of older people, they will not get offended at that because they've got someone, uh, like, it's less of a thing. But I'm actually, yeah. like, if you actually look at it, What's more offensive, making fun of somebody that's sleeping rough or making fun of something that 95% of people do? And I'm like, I I, I can't see the logic of it. And I've uh, had quite a few chats with TV people going, why can I not just say that? It's not, it's not a big deal. No one's getting offended at it. It's like, it's, it's happening. Cause like, if I take the piss out of somebody else, I'm definitely going to take the piss out of myself. Um, and, like the, I mean, the, when I talked about that skin guy thing before, I, I actually, I don't actually lifted my top up in the gig and talked about every single bit of my torso that I fucking hate. And okay. So I'm kind of like, yeah, it's not bullying, but then it's it's such an odd kind of obviously offensive subjective, but I I don't I can't think of a good argument of why sex or being graphic about sex is more offensive than making fun of somebody who you don't know who's actually had a difficult life. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very cogent argument. I'm getting into add to that. Go on, a good point. Argue back. No, nah, I can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got the wrong podcast, mate. <laughs> um, uh, what we like to deal with here on the Comedians Comedian podcast is body dysmorphia. You've alluded to it, and it well, you alluded to it in one joke that was like quite a tidy little parcel of a joke on a on a gala set, and I was like, Oh, is that actually talking about? Do you actually talk about body dysmorphia in this podcast a lot? No, no, no. The point I'm making oh, right, is okay. that we get into that. We, I'm, I'm much more <laughs> likely. Horrible. I'm much more likely to talk about things that are, you know, the interior landscape of one's mind than try and pick an argument with my guest. Is my point? Oh, all right, okay, cool. Oh, one and, day I'm, I'm going to fucking make smiley nice stew have an argument with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked about body dysmorphia on a on a gala set that I saw, and it was. Um, it was like for it was that gag about the like seeing another person and then you know it's a kind of like a <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, yeah. I'm not going to call it a cheap joke but it's a bit of a <laughs> kind of a joke and then yeah, but yeah. but you referred to it and I remember thinking is that oh right now like that's a funny it's a funny feed line if it doesn't have a grade of truth in it not that in that short set that I saw you particularly went into detail on it but just you talking about taking I've not seen you do that bit but lifting your shirt and talking about all the bits of your chest that you hate can, can we talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Uh, funny enough, that that joke uh, originally the reason why uh, I don't mind telling the uh, the joke, but the the punchline is um, like when I look at my reflection, uh, I see a fat Chinese lady. It's basically something like it's something Shall like that. Um, get out of my window or something. Yeah, yeah. Stop looking through my window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but then um, if a listener's wondering, it's, it's on YouTube. Uh, if you want. Check it out, and uh, yeah, I'm at Larry Dean Comedy. Um, but then, <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, yeah, I actually did that joke because I thought of a funny way. I, I did the joke, and I was like, "Oh, it works." But then the funniest bit about that joke was the end of the show, and um, and I can definitely say it because it can never actually be put out on air. Was Evelyn Mock, who is Swedish but she looks Chinese. Yeah, uh, would do the bucket for me, and I used to say to the audience at the end of the gig, I'd be like, "If I'll be holding the bucket at the back of the room." 
Oh my god, what a fucking gag! All right, but what so people let you let people because that's, that's one thing I always try and do in a show. I always try and make people because I saw Nish Kumar a few years ago and the en- exit music was funny. Yeah, because yeah, it was to yeah, do with yeah, the show. Yeah. I love making people leave the gig with another joke, but That's the problem great. is nobody found it funny because everyone's like thinking, "Is it okay for me to laugh in a woman at a woman's face because she is Chinese?" Yeah, totally. So, um, but then, so, but I couldn't exactly go, "Hey, uh, I'll be at the back of the room, but don't worry, it's okay to laugh." Right, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's not enough. I I don't know how the fuck you would caveat that. If I was your director or your dramaturg, I'd be going, I don't know. I think you've just got to do the joke and run away from the venue. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't get much money in the bucket because of that joke. It was weird. Because I did a test. I did a test of, um, am I going to get more money if she's holding the bucket for making them laugh or more money for me holding the bucket? And then, or my mate holding the bucket. I didn't get much money in the bucket. Everyone didn't get much money in the bucket. A random fucking uh, pers- member of staff got more money in the bucket. No. I know. That's, I like, oh, this is a whole separate conversation. I'm obsessed with the uh, the economics of uh, free fringe models. Um, yeah. No way. The, what was the original question? Sorry. Oh, the body dysmorphic. Fucking sorry. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, I know you, you've talked on... I know some of your set, you've talked about having been a fat kid. Yeah. And... I like I I don't know much about you as a kid. Normally we do a bit of kind of setup of like, hey, what was your family life like and what have you in the podcast? We've gone straight into a lot of the material. So what was that like? What's your relationship now to that kid? Oh man, I've like I've I've, rem- I've started remembering stuff since lockdown. Like I was absolutely bizarre, um, and then but then I wasn't very happy. I was like I I remember when I started putting on weight. It was so weird. Like I don't very weird way logic-wise of thinking because I've always been quite intense at thinking and that's my problem. I ruminate so much but even as a kid I'd overthink everything so it's almost like um, but then I'm always worried about not overthinking stuff because I think well if I don't overthink it then I'm not going to actually get it done or like my problem I won't be able to solve the problem Um, but I remember as a kid not being happy and I heard the stereotype that fat people are always happy and I I thought I'm going to start eating so I started no. eating loads and loads. No. Yeah. Really weird. But then I lost Fuck loads me. of weight. I lost loads of weight when I was in puberty for a year. And then I put it on again. Then I lost it again. And then I then I started working in a pizza place that we got paid £2 an hour. Definitely illegal. <laughs> £2 an hour. But we'd have to rely on tips. But you got a free pizza at the end of the night. So I started okay. eating pizzas. And I was really fat until about 20... And then lost weight, put it on again. And then I've been skinny now for a few years. Um, but it's, I actually noticed I, I lost loads of weight. Um, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I got on these fucking like uh, uh, diety pills uh, I found on the internet. I was, stu- I was actually looking at pictures of myself. It's weird. When I look at a picture of myself that's taken today, I'll hate it. But if I look at a picture of myself even a week ago, I'll be like, oh man, I wish I still looked like I did a week ago, even though I hated that picture at the time. So I was taking these pills thinking, oh, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to lose weight. And then I've seen pictures of myself going, fucking hell, man, I was way too skinny and I was still obsessed. I've got to lose more weight, got to lose more weight. But then I noticed that I'm afraid of putting on weight. Like, okay. I'm really afraid of it. But it's because I think like in it's a compulsive, I like it. in a compulsive way. Like, it's not just a sort of a, it's not a reasonable, rational kind of, oh, it'd be more healthy to 
not be overweight. No, it's not much at all. more like a compulsive kind of a fear. Fucking hell, what a maze. <laughs> I know, and it's overthinking of it. But my mum's the same. My mum, my mum's a, but that's where I get it from. My mum's exactly the same. She's terrified of putting on weight. Um, and, uh, some of the, the, the fat jokes I make about myself are ones that my mum's just said to me and I've gone, fair play to you, mum. That's a fucking belter of a joke that you've done there. <laughs> what? The idea, like the central, the core of that or the genesis of that is you as a kid being unhappy. Would you, do you have a sense of why you were unhappy? Was it because you were ruminative? Because you were worried about the world? Um, no, it's because, well, I, but I got an apology for it, right? So there's no, like, grudge whatsoever. But my brother bullied me a lot. But then, my big brother bullied me a lot. But then my mum and dad never believed me. So then there was no, there was no, it was always like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'll just sort it out between yourselves. So then it was that thing of feeling shit about myself. But then not being able to think, oh, someone's going to sort it out for me. So there was no kind of place of trust. You know yeah. what I mean? There was no like that's my safe zone, yeah. so that, that was kind of main, the main reason why I wasn't particularly happy. Oh, <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> sorry, like, my mum. No, not at all. But my mum said to me like a few years ago, she goes, "God, I uh, I didn't uh, she because my brother started annoying her, and she went, I didn't realise how fucking annoying he was. <laughs> <laughs> so you like, got, now that you've had to deal with it, it's fine." So you got an apology from your parents for not having dealt with it, and did you get an apology from your brother for having bullied you? But it was weird. But there's a weird one on my brother because I'm even thinking, did I mess up my memory? Because I remember saying to my brother about, um, I said, oh yeah, because I did a lot of stuff about him uh, in my show two years ago, mm-hmm. and I say I phoned him before. And I said, just so you know, I'm doing material about you as a kid, um, but. Like, I see about how we get on well now, but I just don't want you ever, like, reading a review thinking I'm bitching about you or mm. anything like that. I'm just talking about what it was like growing up with you. Um, so there's no hard feelings. And he was like, what do you mean, that, like, me being horrible to you as a kid? I was like, you were fucking awful. And he goes, are you joking? I was the only one that believed in you. I was the one that was standing up for you against mum and dad. And I was like, what the oh, fuck? <laughs> so I've got, I've got no memory of it at all now, man. I'm just like, I don't know if that's the case or the other case. But then, yeah. But then, so yeah, the, the, the weight loss thing, a lot of it comes down to just kind of trying, uh, making an effort to feel good about myself now, but it's the opposite of how I was doing it as a kid, if that makes yeah, sense. that is a tangled web, my friend. Holy shit. Have you, <laughs> have you been in therapy? Have you spoken to someone about that, that kind of stuff, the dysmorphia stuff? Uh, yeah, a wee bit. I don't know. There's other shit I'm trying to sort out first. Okay. <laughs> okay. The list. But then... Uh, the, the body dysmorphia stuff, I'm kind of like, I'm getting over it a bit, but then there's a thing that people do when they've got body dysmorphia in which they'll, they'll constantly, like, and I do it all the time, and it's, it, I catch my, at least I know I'm catching myself doing it, mm. is you start, you start hold, pressing your chest, or like, basically, you know all the bits of your torso that you're, you can feel bone? Yeah. Like, that's, you constantly like, touch that just to kind of go, oh, I can still feel my ribs, that means I'm not fat. Or okay. I can feel my head. Okay. That means I'm not fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. Oh, mate. Okay. Oh, well, I, I don't know. I'm not one of these. It's so, well, I was talking to my pal about this the other day. I, I've like, whenever I post any of this fucking stuff on uh, social media or whatever, like a story about like a story that I now laugh at, but then people go, "Oh God, that's so bad. Oh my God, yeah. are you okay?" I'm like, "Do you honestly think I would ever talk about stuff that's that's I find upsetting?" 
unless it was with a therapist. You know what I mean? I, I, I always say stuff out loud if I'm okay to talk about it, of, yeah. if I'm happy as it is. Anyway. Yes, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I do. I, I understand that. But I think, I, I suppose we are conditioned by the way some people behave on social media. Like you're going to be, you're going to expect a few you okay huns. If yeah, you're, do you know yeah, what I mean? I if you're going to put stuff out there. I can't stand that shit, man. I, like, when people do that to me, I'm like, oh, fucking, I don't want your sympathy. I want your <laughs> bum. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of how it impacts your creativity, how 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 much like I, I think we all know comics who are kind of striving for success in order to resolve personal demons and then uh, we know people oh, who are good. like other people talk about that good oh fuck all the time <laughs> constantly i mean some comics are like oh i don't know i'm just doing this for a laugh but they are relatively few and far between like where uh, are you on that scale like you're obviously oh. very driven you're very hard working you you excel do you mean i have it in my head that when uh, like when I would get to the point of like uh, like huge fame and success, that's when all the people that have wronged me will be like jealous. It's honest. It's such a better fucking thing to say, but that's honestly the thing. There's and I, I think it's it's almost like um, what do you call it? It's um, naive to think that people don't have these wee evil thoughts in their head. We've all got like little demons that we go, yeah, and that, well, fucking that, that guy bullied me as a kid. Well, I tell you what, wait till you fucking see this. You know what I mean? You have all those little things you're trying to get over uh, in your head. But I, the kind of thing I aim for is, I had a weird thing, right? This is, this is, this is all right, basis, after I did Live with the Apollo, that was the one thing I always wanted to do. Yeah. And I felt about like, what the fuck am I going to do now? And I had no direction of what I was supposed to do. And I ended up working uh, at the Top Secret Comedy Club behind the desk, at the, up the stairs, getting people in yeah, uh, for three nights for free. I just turned up and did it, trying to almost reset my brain of like, what am I going to do now? But then I know basically the... The thing I now aim for is I really want to move to America at some point, and I kind of just want to have the way that um, Richard Pryor's or like uh, Jim Carrey's career of like you maneuver into acting, yeah, but you okay. can still do stand up as well. Okay, that's good. Let's reset the goals. Yeah, Apollo, me, bang, movies, great. Yeah, but I'm like, I mean, because when but the thing is, it's, it's an annoying thing about uh, the UK and Australians get it as well of the crabs in a bucket thing. Yeah. Um, and you kind of think, oh, you kind of get, I kind of given up now on like pretending I'm not, I don't have all these like goals and stuff like that in my head. Cause I'm like, you know, fuck, I might as well just say it out loud. As long as I don't tell people my sneaky way of getting, you know, to the top <laughs> of things, <laughs> then I'm all right. <laughs> That's going to be subscriber only content. Larry explains his sneaky way of getting to the top of things. Oh, totally, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, there's a few times I've, um, what do you call it? I've done stuff very sneakily to, um, but not, I've never pushed somebody under a bus to, like, to <laughs> strive on, but I've figured out a way of like doing something and I've now got my next set of goals. I wanted to do that Jim Carrey thing of write myself a cheque for £1 million pounds by the time I'm 30, and I'm a bit like, oh, well, I'm up to 35 then. So. <laughs> 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 
So that was Larry. What a joy. What a good egg. And what uh, it's just sort of a he's just such a he's like this combination of incredibly funny powerhouse comic, really nice guy and but also just really layered and happy to talk about all his layers. He's the perfect guest. Absolutely joyful talking to Larry. We've got so many great episodes coming up in the can. And before I tell you about them, remember, you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for 20 minutes of extra content uh, just for the Insiders Club, including Larry's rules for a good gig, uh, the thing he never says on stage, and this little thing about um, Facebook videos slash work ethic. That's what we'll headline that. Um, So lots to discover there. And coming up on the show, Paul Sinner returns. Brilliant Erin Foley, who I saw uh, live at, I think, in Texas a couple of years ago. Just a sensational comic. Um, uh, Gary Goldman. Oh, my word. Gary Goldman. I kind of that's one of those episodes where I want to get it out as soon as possible because I'm terribly worried that the Internet will break and my hard drive will delete itself and I'll lose it because it's such a precious thing. Um, uh, I'm talking to Alistair Beckett King tomorrow, I think, Wednesday this week. Um, He's done some brilliant work. He did a preview at Chops, which is another thing online that you can find out about. Search for Chops Comedy on Facebook or if you're uh, following me on Twitch, you'll hear all about that. Doing quite a lot on Twitch at the moment, but also it feels quite measured and organised and not like I'm just staring into this window with a permanent audience peering in through it. Um, and the window in my house is impossible to walk past because there's always people there to perform to. I think that can happen. I don't think that's happened to me. I think it's all quite structured, but we'll see. Let's see how much of a vortex I disappear down. Certainly life is quite strange now, and let's get into that via a postamble. So for now, uh, I'll conclude the episode officially and uh, chat to you in a second. Thank you to Larry Dean, of course. Thank you to uh, to all my guests over the pando. Thanks to everyone who's been... Um, Let's not say panda. <laughs> oh, God. It's too late now. Leave it in. Can't be bothered to edit. Um, thanks to all the guests I've had over the last few weeks and months. Thank you to Nathan Wood for editing the show. JK Crossland for logging. Uh, the music is, of course, by Rob Smouten. Pete Dobbing is your podcast consultant. And um, we've got some absolute cracking stuff coming up. I can't wait. I can't wait. So that concludes the show. And uh, I will now post Amber at you, which is basically me just continuing this sentence after a pause to let you leave if you'd like to. And, and draw breath. Yeah, what a, what a, whoa, what a few months. <laughs> oh my God, what a few months. The, the key things. Hey, this is a key thing. I'm seeing a therapist again. Um, later this week, I'm not see, I'm not seeing them in the active sense of that is ongoing yet. I'm testing someone out, doing an introductory session. It's suspiciously cheap. And if you're a follower of my shows, if you've listened to a few of my hours of stand up, you might be familiar with the bit I did about accidentally getting some discount therapy. Let's hope that isn't about to repeat itself. But I was thinking this morning, I am um, I've got to have this this kind of online meeting uh, with a with a therapist. On Wednesday, and I thought, how can how on earth can you? It's it's like an, an introductory thing. Um, and and I booked it incidentally before I got a, a photocopy through my door yesterday, saying, "Are you a man? Do you want to talk to other men who are struggling?" And I was like, "Hello, how, how do they know?" Looking out the window, oh, why have they targeted me? But that's nice, isn't it? Someone's doing leaflet drops of, "Hey, men, it's been a really worrying time. Let's let's talk and not go all weird and lonely." Um, but. Uh, but I win because I booked my therapy before being reminded to. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is that I am I'm going into this little trizies thing, half price trizies session. 
I'm going into it thinking, and once I start doing it, I'm not going to end this, I'm not going to mention it ever again. This is a, this is a pre moment. I'm not going to discuss my therapy while I'm having it. That would not do. And uh, we should all. No, I'm not going to make any pronouncements. But that's, don't worry that you're going to start getting regular updates on it. I'm not going to do that. But given that it hasn't started, I feel I can talk about it specifically. The element by which I need to sum up the last few, the last six crazy months. But also, I don't I mean, I don't know what I'm anticipating from this person and their current clientele, whether they've taken on shed loads of clients who are, as I have been doing, having an absolute emotional and mental roller coaster during the pandemic and the lockdown and all of the ensuing you know, the state of the world, all of the bigger news stuff, and then all of the micro family stuff and all of the, you know, the, like there's the big world out there. And then there's the small family that we've been in a in a single location with for a long time. And then really, I suppose what I'm after is I, I feel like I have a roadmap for how to deal with my mental health in the old world, in the in the pre-pandemic, in my case as well, the pre-children, pre-marriage kind of I when I was with that guy. <laughs> whoever he was, 2010 Stu, I sort of knew how to deal with his mental health. I didn't always do it successfully, but I knew what the map was. And now so many of the variables have changed. I sort of don't know what the map is. And and that combined with a big load of weight on top of it from the loss of my uh, one aspect of my job. Oh, not the loss of it, but you know what I mean? We know what a crazy time it is for stand-up. Um, but the fact that everything has changed and also everything is sort of more extreme and more worrying, both professionally and globally. Um, and uh, so I just, yeah, it's just interesting to not really know what the map is anymore. And I don't think, I mean, I, okay, I didn't have a breakdown, but I started to feel like, oh, this must be what it feels like when there's a breakdown on the horizon. And I was able then to to go, oh, I'm going to just pull the plug on a few projects and, and uh, try to... Uh, to turtle, <laughs> it's a jiu-jitsu expression. When someone's on top of you, you just crouch down and go, I'm just going to reduce everything to just being a small, impenetrable thing. Like, just press pause on as many projects as possible. Just do the completely necessary ones and have a bit of breathing space. Of course, the other big thing is that um, the Boutros goes to school. How long have you been listening to the show? <laughs> this is my own version of Macaulay Culkin's recent tweet um, saying, do you want to feel old? I'm 40. You're welcome, which really made me laugh. Um, uh, my version is, do you remember me getting excited about the birth of my first child? Well, he's going to school. Um, so I've been sort of, I had this model in my head. I thought there's nothing I need to do in August. There's very little I need to do in August that I can't do in September when he is occupied. So I've just been trying to spend time with the family. I'm losing my thread. The point is I need to get all of this. Maybe I'll record it. Maybe I'll pre-record it and email the poor guy in advance. Um, beginning of a therapy session. I'm like, oh, hi. So I used to do all this stuff like gestalt psychotherapy and that was really useful. And I felt like I had a whole thing. And oh, by the way, that guy, my last therapist I'd worked with for five years. So I kind of know something about how my brain works. Can he forward his notes? <laughs> do they do that so that you can get ginned up? Because then there's all of that shit. Um, but on top of that, whoa, two children, married life, moved house, uh, job radically changed, pandemic, fear and anxiety and all those sorts of things. And questionable. Hey, listen, have I spoken to you about this? 
I don't think I've got ADHD, but there are just a list of red flags as long as your arm, which makes me think it's probably worth looking into. And I will be so angry if I do, because it is the most cliched thing for a comedian in their 30s and 40s to suddenly self-diagnose with an adult ADHD. And if I, I will try very hard not to do material about, I've got some material about how it's pointless finding out because I'm too old now. What's the point? Um, but uh, I sort of internally, I'm intending not to do material about it. Let's see how that plays out. Um, so there's a lot going on. And this is this is the end of my point. I meant this to be a retrospective of the last few weeks and months. But let's frame it as this. How am I going to walk into an online therapy session and say, oh, hi. So this is me. <laughs> I've got to send him notes in advance. These are all the things going on in my life. This is what I think I've been most concerned about. And I would like a roadmap for dealing with all that, please. And uh, come on, chop, chop. <laughs> Clock's ticking. And this is half price. We're on half bubble. So uh, you now, as a therapist, need to prove to me that you're the right guy for me to continue this journey. I'm a nightmare client. I always thought I was a dream client therapy, but I think I think maybe not. Um, there we go. Wow, that was a bit of an outpouring. Some uh, stuff there I maybe didn't intend to say. But the rule of the post tumble is you leave it in because no one listens to this bit anyway. Double thumbs up at the camera. Um, what else? What's been going on in your lives? Get in touch. Hey, hey, um, if you've listened this far and you're, you're part of, let's imagine some layers. Let's imagine some strata. There are the people that listen to the interviews and skip all of the blurbs, my bits, fine. <laughs> hey, if I'm just giving you the heads up that that was an option, ignore that. <laughs> but presumably there are people that do that. Of course there are, there must be. So there's the the interview listeners. Then there's the main episode listeners, but no thanks to the post-amble. Then there's the post-amble listeners, which, my God, do you remember? Do you remember Adam and Joe? That's the first podcast I remember listening to. Their six music show, they podcast... Um, they they would talk, not even the podcast, the actual live radio thing for people who were up at six, which I never was. They used to call them Black Squadron. And there should be some version of that for the people, the amblers, the post amblers. Um, so then there's you. And then there's the sort of strata of connections to the to the the inner world of the podcast. I guess you could go casual listeners, people who are on the mailing list and or people who are in the Facebook group. Um, and then people who've joined the Insiders Club and people who've joined the Insiders Club and bothered to be in the Slack app. Um, and then, not bothered, but you know what I mean? It's, it, that, and that's been quiet. If you're an insider, um, apologies. I have been, whew, you know, I've been working on a lot and I want the Slack app still to be good, but I think I might need to change the Slack app to a Discord because we're using a Discord um, for those. There's an unofficial fan Discord for the SoFam, the Infinite Sofa family. And that is going to become the Discord for the Think Tank and the Writers' Room and all of those other things. And basically, a Discord seems like a good thing to have. And it's very active and live. And I'm already starting to think the Facebook group, it's nice that it's there. And it's a big, it's a very wide-mouthed funnel. It can sort of catch a lot of people, but it's very hard to then... Hey, listen, I'm getting... <laughs> I've missed you. <laughs> I've missed you. This is um, some of the rambling that I haven't been doing for two months. But... Um, there's a lot going on. I hope that you will make the leap. If you are a post-amble listener, chances are you will really enjoy the, I guess, even the, calling it the chat show. It's not a chat show. I mean, it is a chat show, but it's a lot more than that. And we write it together in the morning, 11 o'clock every Monday morning, which I'm just going to do shortly. Um, we we get together and write and, and devise and format the show. And then the think that's Monday morning. Monday night is 
the show itself, The Infinite Sofa. Tuesday night is the Chops Comedy Club, which I co-run with David Hall, on which Alistair Beckett-King just did this sensational preview. Alex Edelman did an incredible preview recently. He's literally been writing every day during the lockdown and so has just got new material, brilliant new material coming out of his material holes. Um, And uh, there's been some fantastic stuff. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to start doing Think Tank, which is taking some of the best, most surprising and unique and innovative ideas from all of those things and trying to fashion a brand new thing which will roll along and create more community members who um, who can then contribute to it, uh, contribute to it, I suppose. Um, so do I sound manic again? That's the question. I think it's hard. I mean, yes, obviously. I don't think I am. I've just had a coffee. I've just been for a run and had a, yeah, clang. I've been for a run and had a coffee. So I'm probably quite, and it's Monday morning and we've been camping over the weekend. So uh, I'm, I feel a bit anxious. I've got a lot on. But I don't think I'm manic again so much as just trying to get a load of stuff done. And I hope, I know that the some of the stuff that I and we are doing is really Oh, man, it's so good. It's so good. The people who watch The Infinite Sofa a couple of times and then get into it, I'm like, you guys, right? We're going to keep doing this. And that will be... And so many of them are, are people who already know me from ConCom. Um, it's like a... It's, boy, it's like a whole other thing. Oh, so, listen, I could be excited about the theatricality of something, excited about innovation and not manic, right? That's fair. <laughs> these these tapes were discovered <laughs> at the scene of the crime before turning the implement on himself um uh so my point is what uh what a crazy unnerving roller coaster of a summer it's been i am trepidatious about going into autumn and winter i'm excited for the future i'm excited for all of these projects and uh, I'm very excited um, for the future of the podcast and, and who we're going to get next. And I do feel invigorated. I think having a break was really sensible. And um, I just want to send lots of positivity and uh, compassion your way uh, because it's been very, very hard. I have had it very easy. I've been I have to reflect on that. I I, I have been lucky enough and pessimistic enough years ago to to survive so far uh job intact my heart goes out to all of you comics who are listening to this people the amount of people i know who had just turned full-time in the last year or two and who are now hastily having to reassess i hope that you will discover all sorts of hidden skills and abilities and i hope that when it all returns to normal and it will or some version of normal um then I hope that all of the things you are discovering now will will be an enormous boost to you, to your to your passion and to your creativity and to your work ethic and to your. I mean, basically, I've I've had it mad. I've had I've had a mad time and I've found it and I'm sure that I've had it comparatively. I've, I've got off comparatively lightly. So I hope that you are putting leaflets through people's front doors or responding to them in a real and or uh, metaphorical sense. And I hope that with the amount of stuff that's going on, 
um, online, that if you are struggling for a gig, you're able to find one online. Uh, I hope that you are, if you're a comic, and if you are one of these comics who has started putting on gigs in pub courtyards and people's back gardens and all the rest of it, we need you and thank you and well done, because organising stuff like that must be, I mean, at its very least, an enormous pain in the arse. Um, so thank you. I think the more work all of us can try and create for the rest of us, that will stand us in good stead. So listen, I'm basically trying to arrogantly sum up months and months of uh, ours, mine and yours experiences uh, in uh, an increasingly rambling post-amble. But it's good to be back and I hope you are surviving and well done for making it this far. And you can do it and we can all do it. All right. All right. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. 